Good evening, sloggy kiddos. Mommy said you guys had a fun day outside playing in the water. I uh, kind of wish I was there for that one, especially if it was nice and warm outside. Well, it was a good day in Prudhoe Bay. Got some work done. Um, yeah, I only have one more full day tomorrow, and then partial day Wednesday, and then I'll be home late Wednesday night. So, looking forward to seeing you guys. Alright, well, let's read some more of Ember's End, shall we? We're at chapter 33. Chapter 33 is called Farewell, Heather and Smalls. Heather shoved up with her hands, trying to block the dragon's death bite. But as strong as she felt, she wasn't strong enough. He broke through her attempted block and bore down. His head was knocked suddenly sideways, and he bit into stone, breaking teeth. Smalls had kicked him off his killing course and now finished him with a black blade. Smalls gripped Heather's hand, and she leapt up. She snagged her hefty hammer as rock struck the ground all around them, shattering as it fell. They fled into the tunnel as, la as a last backward glance showed that an avalanche of collapsing stone had fully flattened that hall as well as, as, as well, and now carried its devastating wreckage into the tunnel just behind them. There could be no escape now, no way back to the triangular vault of Smalls' fathers. They would never emerge through that ancient path, unlocked by the green ember, to find a way back. Those secrets inside the vault would be secrets forever, just as their own deeds and deaths would never be discovered. But in this exhilarating escape, this sacrificial fight against the dragon hordes, she delighted in their victory and had never been prouder of her prince. He had killed so many enemies, had leapt to meet and defeat their evil uprising, and she had been beside him, striking her own blows against their foes, facing the rising tide of the dragon army's inestimable, inestimable threat. Together, they were bringing it all down. Heather heard the, the echoing rumble throughout the islands. It was loud, that sound of compounding crashes throughout the vast dragon lair. The ground heaved and they stumbled ahead, rebalancing again and again as they raced on. Amid a plume of rock dust, at the edge of the collapsing avalanche, Heather and Smalls shot into the last chamber. The first chamber, the vast central cavern of Forbidden Island. They ran on as the collapse stalled behind them, crushed rock vomiting into the cavern and fouling the moss draft pool. But it stopped. Even while distant rumbles continued, 
the flow seemed to break and cease in this spot. Smaller rocks came loose from the curved ceiling, and rubble lay scattered around the cavern, but compared to the ruin behind them, this hall seemed almost stable. The two rabbits panted, bending over to catch their breath. Smalls fell to his knees, absently cleaning his blade on his shirt sleeve as he shook his head. He gazed at the blade with a kind of holy awe, then sheathed it at his side. Flint's own sword, my ancestral arms. Looking over at Heather, he rose. Are you okay, my dear? I, Heather began grasping for air, am pretty well. Smalls laughed, coughed as he crossed to her. Pretty well? They laughed together, leaning against each other in the faint light of the last cavern standing in the ancient lair of dragons. I feel good, she said, smiling wide. I'm glad we did what we did. As am I. Might we survive in here? She asked, glancing nervously over at the support beam. The wooden brace was riddled with splintering cracks. For a while? They gazed at one another for a moment. Then a hissing bellow sounded, picking up and passing on, repeated again and again by a growing chorus of coarse voices. From, a, from hidden vaults throughout the hall came the last part of the dragon army, and they broke into the cavern with an insatiable rage. They came from the other side of the islands, opposite from where the two rabbits had just fled, leaving a, ju leaving a just destruction in their path. Unless this hall too fell, the dragons would still stand a chance, however slim, of getting out and setting on their friends, ending the hope of the mending. That cannot be. With a last longing look at Smalls, Heather picked up her maul and dashed at the last buttress, that beam that seemed their final chance at somehow surviving. No. This was indeed their end. She reached the beam just as Smalls met the last dragon attackers, hewing them down in succession with his shining black blade. The small prince in his sable star sword, a final tale for her to savor and see. The scribe of the cause's last story. Heather spun and sent her hammer tearing through the last beam. The cavern shook and came apart. Heather locked eyes with smalls as the rock rained down. Chapter 34 Signals and Messages Joe Shanks had spent the, spent the past few days working with the allied archers of Emma's army. He occasionally helped with other errands for the princess or backed up Pickett's and Cole's work with the Royal Fowler's Auxiliary. Alongside engineers and many stout soldiers, the archers were folded into the high wall wardens, though most called them the high wallers. 
they were charged with holding the wall and defending the city. It was a duty many volunteered for, but few expected to live through. Joe felt honored to be among them. The archers were the best ever assembled, if Joe could be trusted to judge. His own former unit, the Bracers, were united with Harbone's best, along with hand-picked bucks from every free citadel in Natalia. The Harbone archers were incensed by the slaughter at their citadel. Almost all had lost loved ones. Many had lost their entire families. They worked with a fierce determination that inspired the rest. Clay Fletcher, a legendary old archer from the last wars, was in command. Nate Flynn and Harbone's Hempson Forn seconded Commander Fletcher, and Joe slotted in with Nate's division when they practiced maneuvers. Joe reached the last step up First Warren's outside wall, still wincing as he thought of falling from this height so recently. Good thing Pick was there. He dodged past a team of Hayward's brother Votary engineers, Votary engineers, setting a series of bow strikers every 15 feet along the wall. Farther down the wall, the wall top path, amid a band of archers, stood his friends Studge, Owen, and Nate along with a buck from Vandalia named Deaver. Joe had fought alongside Deaver's brother, Aubrey, as had Nate, Studge, and Owen. So the group had quite naturally welcomed Deaver in. Joe walked their way, his glider pack on his back, and a loose cape draped over his shoulders. He checked the lock on the quiver hanging on one side of his belt, then felt the grip of the sword on the other side. Joe Shanks. Studge smirked as the long-legged buck walked up. Taking a break from a life of high living among the royals to associate with low fellows like us? How kind. You guys aren't low, Joe answered, gazing down on the busy city below. At least not in location. He's probably bringing a message from his best friend, the princess, Deaver said. I do have a message, Joe said. Princess Emma wants you all to know that she thinks I'm wonderful. And she has a low opinion of how you bucks both look and smell. There's more, but I'll spare you the most insulting parts. Thank you, your lordship, Deaver said, making an exaggerated bow. Deaver looked so like Aubrey with the same fur pattern on his shoulder, black with gold around his eyes and the inside of his ears. What's happening here? Joe asked. We're waiting on Lord Longshot there, Studge said, nodding toward Nate Flynn, to let us know when our next... to let us know when our next in a long line of where should we stand during the fighting drills will be. Owen rolled his eyes. I genuinely cannot wait. I'm so glad you're here with us at this crucial juncture, Joe. Otherwise, you wouldn't know where to stand, Deaver whispered. I constantly feel like I'm standing in the wrong place, Joe replied. 
Are we ever going to shoot? Studge asked, gazing in Nate's direction. I thought this was a company of archers. Stop complaining, Studge, Nate Flynn said, looking up from his notes. It's possible there are smarter minds at work than yours. I'd say likely, Deaver said. We have confirmation, Owen added. Yes, sir, Studge saluted and sagged against the parapet. I just want to shoot an arrow from my bow once or twice as part of this elite archery company. Did you ever consider, Joe asked, tapping his head, that the commanders already know we can shoot? And maybe they want us to coordinate with the other soldiers so we don't accidentally kill our own troops or help the enemy some other way. Studge opened his mouth and extended a finger, then his eyes widened, and he inclined his head, saying nothing. I think that's a major military victory right there, Nate said, marking out something on his paper and stepping forward. You did the impossible, Joe. You just shut Studge up. Folks use the term hero pretty lightly, but... Joe began, but Nate interrupted. Okay, elite archers of Natalia, gather around. Nate called, and the large band of rabbits congregated tightly around him. We are staging here, at arms, for 30 minutes, then shifting as a body, going light, down one of three redeployment areas, depending on the signal we get from command. Any questions? Studge raised his hand. Nate smirked. Okay, since there are no questions, to your stations. Yes, sir, they called. Joe followed Nate to the edge of the wall, where they gazed over at the palace. Nate sighed. I bet they've got that dullhead Farns as signaler again. I don't see why the commander trusts him. The commander can't keep up with all that chaos up there, sir, Joe said. His chief of staff is the problem. It's not ill will. He's just overwhelmed with the job. Nate drew a glass from out of his satchel and set it to his eye. It is him. And what? Now he's signaling two yellow flags, followed by three red, then a white with a gray X. He emphasizes the last by shaking it back and forth. Nate hung his head. Oh, no. That's Farns and his flags again, Owen said, laying down his bow. Why don't you just fire a shot over there, sir? I'm sure you can hit it from here. He might hit the flags by accident, Joe said. Shanks, Nate said. Jump over there and ask command what we're meant to do with the signal hoist of... Advance with all haste and fall back on the double. We are friends, we are friends, if you please. It's nuanced, sir, Studge said, scratching his chin. It's got levels. Yes, sir, Joe said, saluting his fellows as one of Nate's aides checked his pack over. I'll report to the palace rooftop. Ask what on earth the signal is supposed to say. The aide slapped the pack twice, and Joe looped his hands through the cape's wrist, the cape's wrist slots, testing the connection. Satisfied, he jumped up to the parapet 
and, shrugging towards Studge, Owen, and Deaver, slowly let himself fall from the high wall. Engaging the glider, Joe swept out over the old road, and then, banking back across the square, up to the palace's high roof, where he alighted in the des designated landing zone on the far side from the giant slide still under construction. I need to see the commander, Joe said to an officer as an officer approached him, distracted by a list in his hands. The commander is very... The officer began. He was going to say that, the com that Commander Fletcher was busy, but then he looked up and saw who was asking. Joe Shanks, heroic archer and close friend of both Picket Longtreader and the princess herself. I, uh, Lieutenant, I will do my best, sir, to get his attention. Thank you, Joe gazed around the rooftop as the officer hurried off. The organization required to get all these rabbits going in the same direction was immense. How it functioned as well as it did was beyond him. I'm like Studge. Just tell me where to point my arrows. Lieutenant Shanks! Joe turned to see Dalla, a young doe from Harbone who served as a runner. Yes, Dalla. Sir, she said, holding out a folded paper sealed with wax. I was charged to give this to you. She handed it over. Charged by who? She said her name was Lady Glenn, sir, Dalla said, but she was with Lord Blackstar and Haina, as well as some others. Where have you come from, Dalla? From north of Chelmsford, sir, she said, and Joe could see she was exhausted. They said it was urgent. I ran all the way. Dalla, well done. Get yourself some provisions down below. She saluted relief plain on her face, and walked off. Joe broke the seal and tore open the letter. He read it quickly, then ran to signal her Farns and snatched away his white flag with the gray X. Hey! Farns shouted, staring at his empty hands. No one may interfere with or otherwise alter the exact messaging from Her Royal Highness's services upon pain of death. Then you're a dead buck, Farns. Joe called over his shoulder as he leapt from the rooftop and banked left. After a flight that took him over the western edge of First Warren and into the forest beyond, he found what he was looking for, the crossroads north of Chelmsford. He dropped low and, increasing the drag on his glider, eased down for a smooth landing. The secluded roadway felt strange after being in a busy city so much lately. It was unnerving. He walked along the road north, as his instructions had stated. Ho oh, there! Someone called from the forest. Joe stopped, and out stepped several strange bucks wearing odd clothes. They seemed to be travelers. Long-time travelers. Their leader, an old buck of mixed brown and silver fur, stepped forward. You shanks? Yes. The stranger nodded. An archer, right? Like you, Joe said, noticing the same signs. Where's Lord Blackstar? 
Come along, the stranger said, nodding into the overgrown forest. This feels safe, Joe said with a smirk. But the truth was that he did feel safe. The stranger, as odd as he and his companions looked, felt good. He smelled right. Joe wasn't sure how to word it, but there was something almost sublime in his presence. What's your name? Joe asked. They call me the Pilgrim. Entering the forest, they followed a trail to a small camp under a canopy of trees. There was Lord Blackstar and Haina and an old doe with black and silver fur. She wore an elegant dress and long gloves. She might have been Haina's grandmother. Joe bowed. Welcome, Joe, Lord Blackstar said. I'm grateful you came. My lord, you have met the pilgrim. This is Lady Glen. Joe bowed again. Your majesty, he said. So, he's clever, I see, Lady Glen said. I'm glad to meet you. You are the famous archer of those magnificent shots. Joe looked down. I am, he began, but stopped. You don't wish to lie, she said, smiling. Either you're always an honorable buck, a rare thing, but it does happen, or you're awed into honesty by the pilgrim's proximity. He has that effect on many. It's been quite useful lately, I can assure you. Joe smiled cautiously. I have hit my mark in important moments, your majesty. Perhaps your best shot is yet to come. I only hope to serve the cause. I fight for the mending, ma'am. Very good, Archer Joe. I understand you're quite close to my daughter. I serve Princess Emma gladly, Majesty. Good, good. There's something else. There's someone else here who needs our help, Joe. She said, stepping forward, Will you help us? I am yours to command, Majesty. A hooded figure emerged from behind a tree. Chapter 35 Pickett's Apprentice Pickett peeled off his glider pack and laid it down on the palace rooftop as the royal fowler's auxiliary wrapped up training. He watched the young bucks file down the hatchway stairs, recently enlarged alongside several other improvements to the crucial palace roof. These young bucks were doing better. They might be ready. But ready for what? His heart sank at the thought. He sighed and headed for the stairs. The princess would want a report. Pickett dreaded going to see Emma. He hated seeing her grow thinner and more worn with each day. The doom hovering over the city and all its preparations was palpable. Captain, Pickett turned to see young Lalo, an infantry buck from Halfwind who had made the RFA. Yes? Could I trouble you for a lesson?
Pickett frowned. We just spent an hour in the air, soldier. I want more. More from you, Lalo said, head down. See, I want to do what you've done, sir, to hit the enemy right between the eyes, to pay them back, to be a... to be... A legend? Pickett asked, smirking. You want to be a legend? Well, that's what you are, Lalo replied sharply. Pickett hadn't realized he was wounding the younger buck. And you once told me that I was like you, or you were like me, that we were the same. Infantry. Pickett folded his glider pack and rubbed out his eyes. We're still in the thick of it together, Lalo. You're in the RFA, and you'll do your part. I want you to show me how you do it, Lalo said, face set. Do what, Lalo? Infantry and airborne, in battle. You fight like no one else. You're different. Better. I want that. I want to be for the... I want to be that for the cause and crown. Pickett hadn't thought of that way. Pickett hadn't thought that way about himself, and he hadn't thought much about how he had become what he had become. He tried for a moment, closing his eyes. Images appeared in his mind, memories of days he had not thought about in a long time. I had a great trainer. Well, I'm not one. Pickett smiled, then walked toward the stairs leading down into the palace. Ten minutes, sir, Lalo said. Just give me ten minutes. Pickett stopped by the stairs, hanging his head low. He didn't want to see Emma right now, anyway. How many weapons do I have, Lalo? Lalo hesitated. Sir, you have your sword and... Uh, a knife? Pickett turned, smiled, and rushed Lalo with a leaping kick, which sent the surprised buck to the ground. Pickett didn't leave him there. He kicked his glider pack so that it crashed into Lalo's head, then snagged several signal flags from a nearby shelf and attacked the astonished rabbit with them. Lalo blocked the first blow, then kicked out and missed as Pickett dodged to the side, and drove a flag, a flag's thick handle, into his middle. Lalo gasped, sinking to his knees. Pickett rose and kicked him down. How many weapons do I have? Pickett asked. A thousand? Lalo gasped. Lesson one, Pickett said, extending a hand to the crumpled buck. Everything's a weapon. Chapter 36 The Odds of War After an hour with Lalo, Pickett dismissed the young buck and stood gazing at the preparations made all over the city. They were close. If they could only have a few more days of preparation. Captain Longtreader, Lieutenant Bannon, one of the Royal Fowler's auxiliary officers called, running up. Yes, Lieutenant? RFA patrol reporting in, sir. 
there's an army approaching. Where away? Northwest, Captain. So it is, Terralane. Come to destroy us before we are fully and finally destroyed by Morbin. Thank you, Bannon. Please find Lieutenant Shanks and ask him to meet me at the old gate road. Sir, Lieutenant Shanks is gone. He left hours ago, taking flight in his glider from this very rooftop. Were you here when he left? Yes, sir, Bannon replied. I saw a young runner. Dalla, sir. Bring him a note. Lieutenant Shanks read it and thanked Dalla. Then he stole a signal flag, ran to the edge, and flew off. Pickett frowned. Thank you, Bannon. Have Lord Captain Helmer and Captain Fry be alerted about the army. Oh, have Lord Captain Helmer and Captain Fry been alerted about the army? Yes, sir. It was the Lord Captain himself who sent me to you. Well done. Where's Cole? He's at mess, sir. He was scheduled to train the next section after you. Shall I ask him to meet you at the old gate? No. Unless Lord Blackstar's returned, he will have to muster with his father's force from Kingston. Just you and Harmon and Lalo be ready with the RFA. Put the second squad on standby and stage the third. Yes, sir. Pickett drew his glider pack back on, locked it into place with help from Bannon, and limped to the edge of the roof. Oh, and Bannon, he called. Yes, sir. Which way did he? Which way did Joe fly? West, sir. Due west. Pickett leapt, closing his eyes as he plunged down, loose cape flapping in the wind. Opening his eyes, he shot out his arms, twisted his wrists to engage the glider, and sailed up into a smooth, swooping arc. Pickett glided over the seventh standing stone and gained great height mastering the wind's sometimes erratic tracks to survey from high above the city. He saw them, a massive army set off in columns, marching toward them. His heart sank, and he descended, bending in an elegant bank to glide over those rabbits working around the west gate, including the provisioners led by Captain Moonlight. Pickett swept above the old road, dipping down till a sudden upward whip sent him flipping in a graceful sweep that ended with him landing on his feet. His bad knee only gave way a little so that he ended by bending in a kneel. She's watching, Cap said, hobbling up. I'm sure you impressed her. Pickett smiled. Cap, we have to get all your crew to fall back positions. To the farm? Already? I'm afraid so. They won't want to go. I don't want to go. It's the princess's orders, Cap, and she's right. I know it, he said, frowning. I'll get right on it. And please, Pickett said hoarsely, look after Wheezy. I just couldn't lose. Not another... I'll stick close by her, Pickett. Pickett nodded and hurried ahead as Cap began bellowing orders. 
He had reached the edge of the city where a column approached from the left with Captain Fry at its head. The veteran soldier looked old and worn. He, like Emma and so many others in positions of leadership, seemed to grow thinner every day. Helmer approached from the right flank, leading another column of soldiers. Most of the soldiers in the city were situated with their own citadel's units, and the command structures were kept intact as much as possible. The, these two divisions, one led by Helmer and the other by Fry, were elite hand-picked battlers meant to serve as the heart of the army. They were Emma's own force, the Royal Warren Guard. Pickett watched as they marched to the edge of the west gate, then flooded out to form two arching wings to hold the opening of the gate. This part of the wall had been closed up long ago, but the Allies had blown it apart when they entered and took the city. It was now the focal point of defense. Pickett peered aloft and saw that the high wall wardens were ready with Emerson staged just above the gate on the high parapet. Captain Fry, Pickett said, saluting his old commander on the left. Lord Captain Helmer, he said, turning to bow to his master. Captain Longtreader, Helmer said, stepping to the center. Assume command of my part of the Warren Guard, if you please. Aye, sir, Pickett replied, saluting and stepping to Helmer's right. I am assuming command of Her Royal Highness's forces entire, Helmer said. Aye, sir, Captain Fry said, saluting. Helmer returned the salute. Pickett gazed at the black buck, gray specks stretching across his jaw and flecking most of his fur. Pickett had never seen him like this. Full weight of the cause assumed with calm expertise and grim defiance. Pickett knew that this was what Helmer had run from, what he was so bitter about when Pickett first encountered him at Cloud Mountain. The old hero had seen too many young soldiers die under his command, and it took training Pickett to once again revive his fire for the cause. Pickett wiped at his eyes, seeing him there after all they had been through. But Helmer had been right. After all, we are here at the end, and no one will survive. Pickett's heart sank as he scanned the Warren Guard, seeing faces young and old, all of whom would likely be destroyed by day's end. Behind these troops, the provisioners fell back, and Wheezy was among them. Will I ever see her again? Some would regroup all the way back to Helmer's family farm. At least she would be with her mother. Bow in, oh, I'm sorry. At least she would be with her mother, bow in hand, and ready to defend her family's old homestead. Deeper in the city, the lords of each citadel were marching at the head of their own armies, all commanding together in long columns, stretching back past the palace and all along the river. The lords left their captains in command and made their way to the gate. Lord Ronan, Lord Booker, Lord Felson, and the others all lined up behind Helmer.
Lord Ronan of Black, Lord Ronan for Blackstone, Ronan said, for the heir and for her cause. Lord Booker for Vandalia and my father's memory. Lord Morgan Booker said, we fight for the princess and her cause. Lord Felson for Chelmsford, Felson began, and the remaining lords pledged their forces formally to Emma through Helmer. No one, however, stood there for Kingston. Then Pickett saw a black buck glide in quickly. He banked up close by, disengaged one taut wing, then spun down in an expert twist to land before Helmer, alongside the lords. Cole Blackstar, sir, for Kingston, Cole said, since our ancestor Fleck, and until the end of the world, we stand with Whitson's heir and the cause of the mending. Pickett nodded, Pickett nodded to Cole. My lords, you are welcome, Helmer said, bowing to them. You know the plan. Let's begin our defense as we hope to end it. With no flinching, Lord Ronan said, we must treat these rebels like raptors and cut them down. Agreed, Helmer said, frowning gravely. It has come to that. Signal hoisted HQ, Lord Captain, a signal aide named Jeffwood called. What is it? He asked, not even trying with his imperfect sight to read the flags. Enemy sighted, Jeffwood said. Thank you, Helmer said, turning back to the lords. Now, my lords, we must be certain to make them believe we are not coming out. Sir, I beg your pardon, Jefford said, but the signal is being repeated again and again. What? Helmer asked, turning to peer up at the palace. Did we not replace that idiot Farns? Yes, sir, that idiot Farns has been replaced. Jeffwood said. Signal them to send a flyer. Aye, sir, Jeffwood called, and he ordered a signal to send that message. Pickett frowned, then gazed out from the distant dazed, gazed out at the distant army approaching from the west. He could see them from the ground now, marching ahead in good order. The tall, terrible fighter fighters of Terralane. He had seen them in action now more than once. He did not like the prospect of meeting them again this way. Pickett had hoped for so much more, but Kylan had made his decision clear. That fool would have so much to answer for. Pickett recalled with a wince how he could have cut Kyle down in Smalls' chamber so long ago. But I am no murderer no matter what the Terralanes say. The messenger sent from the palace top glided in and landed not far from the command team. The lords and captains parted, and Harmon came through. Report, Helmer demanded. Lord Captain, Harmon began, then saluted. Enemy in sight, sir. We know the enemy's in sight, soldier, Helmer snapped. Not them, sir. Harmon said, nodding to the Terralane army. Another enemy, a wolf army, sir, from out of the northeast. 
We had an RFA patrol scout report back just now, sir. It's a massive wolf army, sir. Well armed and coming fast. Helmer looked straight at Pickett, wincing after a moment. Slowly, he looked back at the lords and other captains. It's King Farlock. We can only face and fight them. Let us show our soldiers courage. There's nothing else for it now. It has been an honor to serve with you. The lords nodded and broke up, each heading back to their armies. Pickett limped back towards his side of the warren guard, trying hard to show a brave face for the watching soldiers. Then, from his periphery, he saw another flyer gliding their way. He turned. Joe? It wasn't Joe. It was Emma, wearing a long hooded black robe that rippled in the wind. She landed smoothly and Pickett crossed to reach her first. Emma, what are you doing here? It's about to get very, very bad down here. I know that, Captain, she replied, hurrying towards Helmer. Emma, you can't stay here. She shrugged him off, hurrying forward, her feet poking out of the long robe with each step. When she reached the command team, each lord and captain bent to bow. My lords and captains, and Lord Captain Helmer, we have received an additional warning. We heard, your highness, Helmer said. King Farlock's wolf army is nearly upon us, which is why perhaps you should... Not that warning, Emma said, looking down. There is another. Pickett stepped closer as Emma continued. The first wave of Praelord Raptors has embarked from north of Grey Grove. They will be here soon. The end is here. Chapter 37 The Terralanes Attack And we're going to stop there for tonight. Okay, it's late. I love you, kiddos. Get some good sleep. I'll be praying for you. Night-night. See you soon.